Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Lord, I just pray as we get into your word that you would lead us and guide us into the truth we need to know. We invite you in this moment, speak to each person in a unique way that they need to hear the words that bring life. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, as we continue in sermon number two in our Love the uh, City series, um, I'm reminded that we're getting close to Halloween. Some people kind of celebrate Halloween. Some people who know that that's a, a scary, devilish holiday, they celebrate Harvest Fest. Everybody gets a little bit confused, and you have goblins and fairies and Bible characters all mixed together. It's just confusing. It's okay. Okay, we're all a little bit confused. The point is we're just trying to redeem something uh, for the Lord, you know. Uh, but, you know, when I was growing up, I was really obsessed with the scary things. I, mean, I remember my first Halloween. I wanted to, you know, do something, you know, my mom wouldn't buy costumes, so I just ripped one of her sheets, cut the eyes out, and put some blood on it. I was a bloody ghost. And so, and it was like fun. And, and, I, and I had come into a pattern where it was easy to, you know, take creepy and scary things and make them light and funny. You know, it was really, really, really cool. And so, you know, my mom would, you know, take us to the, the local haunted house, and it was, you know, you know, you get scared, but you're not really scared because, you know, it's not really real. And it just feels good to participate when it's scary but not real. So you're like temporary scary, but not real scary. It's not scary scary. It's, just, it's fake scary. And so I was in that pattern for a long time. And, and then, the, you know, after you do that, your, 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 your sensitivity to scary things kind of go down. My mom wouldn't allow me to watch scary movies. And, but my sensitivity had gone down, and so back then you, we went to drive-ins, and, and uh, my uncle had a station wagon, and, and, and I actually did something that was one of the most brave things I'd ever done as a, as a, a 12, 13-year-old. I, I, I got into the back of the station wagon, covered myself up, and hid as we went to the, the drive-in. Um, now, I, was quite, I wasn't quite sure what the movie was. I just knew it was inappropriate for my age. And when I got there, I, I, you, know, you know, I was out, and, you know, in my family tradition, I got cussed out, and um, I didn't get spanked. God, they weren't that level of abusive. No, I'm just playing outside. It wouldn't, wouldn't be wrong to spank them, your kids. But my point is, is that I, I, we laughed it off. Oh, you did a bad thing, but we laughed it off. And, and after, they said, just watch the movie. The movie was Poltergeist. And I, yeah, I, I didn't know. I didn't know there was fun, scary, and then there was scary. And I was introduced to scary. And some concepts that I hadn't planned on thinking about, like death, afterlife, when the afterlife and the current life meet together. Like, what? I don't understand. So I left the fun scary, and it put me in a situation of permanently scared. 
this scared in my life haunted me, paralyzed me, crippled me, all because I, I thought I could touch something evil in a fun way, and somehow I would come out unscarred. But the bold, confident guy you see before you was not that young man. I came out shaken, confused, and, and I'd always been the guy that the church butch picked me up, and I heard about Jesus, but I heard about the devil, and I almost got them on equal playing fields, and I kind of have both. I was really good at a duplicitous life. I was good at it because the people in church, when I sang in the choir and I rang the bells and I did the altar work, they thought I was phenomenal. They were only seeing my potential. They could not see my terror. They could not see that I was absolutely shaken. And perhaps today, as we take a deeper look into the Bible, we've been stuck on fun scary so long, we really can't see that people are really scared because they have no idea how to deal with the real issues of life. Jesus, in his loving, merciful way, does never leaves us in these conditions. When he finds people that are feeling this way, I, I love he just he comes alongside of you and he begins to talk to you and tell you stories. You know, I'm gonna tell you a story today that he was telling his disciples to help them deal with this challenge of being unclear about whether their life measured up or not. Let's look at Luke 16, uh, 19, I apologize. Yeah, 19 through, we'll just read the first few verses of this story. When you have it on your Bible, won't you say amen? amen? I still encourage you to bring your physical Bibles, and if you don't take notes, I encourage you to take notes. You want to remember the things that are going to be said. Here we go. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple, in fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man uh, died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his tomb. Just before I get into some real hardcore preaching that really just gets us nice and scared, um, 
Let's, let's think about how, um, who he's talking to. I, uh, just, just for context, I want you to understand the verses before the group of people that he's actually talking to, because we might find some similarities with this group and be able to really apply this story in the way it was meant to be told. Uh, uh, Luke 16, uh, verse 14 says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all of these things and ridiculed him. He was talking about the, 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 the shrewd manager. He was challenging them. And they ridiculed him. They heard the message as the religious elite, as the believers of the day, as what would be considered the church of the day, the people who are, are the, the, the pious. They heard the message that Jesus had to say, and they, 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 they started to, to kind of challenge it. And they said, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John, and since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached everywhere, it's every, and everyone forces his way into it. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one jot or tittle of the law to pass away. Okay, so now here you, you, you have it. You have a group of people who think they, they have it going on. They have been around the message, which should bring some fear of the Lord. But instead of being in fear of the Lord, it's caused them to have confidence in themselves. They're considered as lovers of money. They con they're considered as reprovers of Jesus. They don't have the right disposition, the right attitude, but they're in the right place. And I know that it's going to be real easy to always hear a message like this and say, that's how they are. Because when you hear about rich people, we always think we're not the rich people. You just have to remember you're an American, and your poorest person in America is pretty rich. They got a chance have a chance in life. I know we have all types of different types of discrimination and all that. You're still in a good place. People would die for your citizenship. You're pretty rich. Pretty rich. Okay? He said there was a rich, Jesus is going to tell him a story. And he said there was a rich man. It's a literal person. He dressed in purple, which meant that he didn't just have money. He had money to the full, and he had money overflowing. He weren't just wearing good clothes, which would be linen. He was wearing the very best clothes, the extremely extravagant, because to make something purple, oh, my gosh, it was costly. And the Bible said he fared sumptuously. He ate sumptuously every day. This means he was eating a buffet meal every day. People back in that time may have done that once or twice a year. Every day of his life, he is eating well. It's almost like uh, the, the old show, the, the Rich and Famous, or the Cribs, or, or our obsession of looking at rich people and saying, ooh, that's it. He had the it factor. He had the multi-million dollar everything. And, and he is contrasted in the story with someone who has a name, named Lazarus. See, Lazarus, the Bible says, was laid at the rich man's gate. The scripture, what that word means is he was dumped at the rich man's gate. 
he was thrown at the rich man's gate. And I want to be truthful with you. And I don't want us to be over-religious. Lazarus was not fun to look at. He had sores all over his body that were ulcerous, they were palsy, and you know, he was laying there. In fact, he was laying there looking so bad that the dogs came and was licking the pus and he wasn't like pushing the dogs away. And I don't want you to think about your dog that's at home because dogs in the Jewish community didn't have any type of rank. They were considered scavengers. They were just around to just make sure trash was eaten. So he's hanging out with the trash dog and letting them lick on him. You know bacteria is going everywhere. And his main desire was for some of the blessing that was on the rich man to somehow get to him. See, when, when you ate back in this time, you ate with your hands, and, 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 and what they would do with their bread, he wanted to be fed with something that fell from that. What they would do with their bread is they would use it to wipe their hands. <laughs> they would just throw it down. It was their napkin. Like Lazarus like, just let me get the napkin. You ever have a dog at home and licks the napkin and stuff? You think he, he's reduced himself. They don't tell you why the rich man is rich, and they don't tell you why Lazarus is poor. You just know that they're in bad condition. One is in a good condition, and one is in a bad condition. And, the, and Jesus is wanting you to see the contrast of these two people uh, next to each other. And then he says that Lazarus died and the rich man died, but the rich man is buried. He had a ceremony. Somebody was standing up there reading the Old Testament. (laughs) They were reading Scripture. You know his casket was right. You know if, if Jesus was in a borrowed tomb, but it was a rich man's tomb, you know he had a nice tomb. His setup was right. He, he could hire professional whalers. I mean, they did this thing good. The repast was on point, top chefs. But Lazarus was probably thrown, picked up by the garbage men and thrown in a heap, probably thrown in Gehenna, which is another phrase for hell or, 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 or fires or a place of burning constantly. He was just probably thrown in a heap. And then the Scripture makes a pivot, and you, you are able to see something quite significant happen, where it's revealed to you something about the life of the rich man juxtaposed to the life of the poor man. He said the rich man, I mean, he opened his eyes in Hades, where he was being tormented in a flame. And Lazarus went to Abraham's side. Now, again, let's just, let's just slow down here because you've got to get it. I can imagine why Jesus would pick referring to the afterlife as Abraham's side versus heaven. He is trying to convince a group of Pharisees who believe they have it all together, that they're doing the right things, of of how far from God they really are. If, if a Pharisee wanted to claim high levels of piety, he would say, I'm a child of Abraham. He would claim a familial connection with the most major patriarch of the day. To say that Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom, they knew that Abraham was in heaven. 
and then then say he was in a place of honor laying on his chest. You, You couldn't imagine that Lazarus could get this type of place, this type of comfort. The angels came and pick Lazarus up. It's like God saying, I want him to be with me, but, but, but I'm, I'm going to give you a little escort because you, you, you came out of a, such a traumatic situation. I don't want to just come up on you quick and, and, and startle you. Let my angels come and just, just help you up to glory. I want you to understand how quick this death is. It's death and immediately one is being tormented, tormented and immediately one is being comforted. I want you to realize there's no delay. There's, they're not annihilated, means they cease to exist. So you might have believed that lie from the movies. Somebody snapped their fingers and they're just gone. They're not annihilated. They're not in soul sleep. They're not being cleansed. They didn't come back as an ant or a dog or a male come back. They, they didn't get reincarnated. They came back. They came to eternity knowing who they were, being who they were. They didn't somehow forget. And now the Lazarus, meaning the Lord is my help, he's helped. His whole life he didn't get what he wanted in this world. See, your earthly condition has eternal implications. Your earthly condition has eternal implications. How could Lazarus end up in a good place when he had a bad life? Because while the Pharisees were saying they believed, were giving you the posture of a believer We're giving you the attendance and the casual benevolence and taking the high seats and answering all the religious questions. While they gave you the impression that their heart was close to God, they were far from God, and yet Lazarus is proving in his most humble condition that he wasn't cursing the rich man. He wasn't saying, he was saying, I'm I'm, I'm glad they just let me get close to his table. Man, this is a good spot. Man, I got some, I don't have no gauze. I got some dogs licking me. He was seeing the most pure, positive perspectives. But I, I view him, if you don't want to view him in that kind way, like I, I view him at least like the thief on the cross who was able to recognize God, true God. He didn't have to say anything in his defense. God defended him. I can tell something was applied to his life. A lot of people say, I know I'm saved. I know I'm this. But you know what? Let your life speak for you. Let your God come and defend you. Lazarus is voiceless through this whole process. He doesn't have to speak. His life is speaking for him. What does your life say about you? See, your earthly condition has eternal consequences. You might be saying, well, Hades, which could be a synonym for hell, in some cases the lake of fire. And I'm going to tell you something. You may be sitting here making a mistake not believing in hell because the statistics say that people believe, more people believe in heaven than they do about hell. But Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. So you just go deal with that. 
he certainly believed in it. Hell is real. Sheol, a place for the damned, a place for the dead. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's there, a, 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 a place of torment, a place of judgment. I, I want to read this to you. Look at this scripture. This is the reality of eternity, Revelations 20 and 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. I thought when you're dead, you're dead. No. You, 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 it's going to be a resurrection of the dead. You wake up to who? God. You stand before God and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things written in the books according to their works. In other words, there is a record kept about my life. There's a record kept about your life. And it's all bad. You need someone who has the power to blot out your transgressions. You need someone who can clear your ledger. You, you need someone who is just to say, I'll justify. And if you don't have that, you don't have your name written in the book of life. You've got trouble. There is no movies that I've watched that bring you to this point where no one is there to defend you. There's no advocate. There's no Christ saying, I'm going to tell you I'm worthy. Don't even worry about it. Yes, he did all of that stuff, but he said yes to me. Lazarus, he, he figured out, he figured out he needed to be acquitted. Let's look at verse 27. No, I mean verse 24. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in a flame. I just noticed this guy. This guy is in hell barking orders. This guy is in hell, obviously not aware that there's a distance between him and Abraham. This guy is acting like their family. And the reason he's acting like they're family is because in the real world, he acted like they were family. See, if you don't work certain things out in this life, doesn't mean you work them out in the next. See, hell don't fix what's broken about you. Hell just allows you to be the full version of your confused, lost self. There's no Holy Spirit guiding him and leading him into the truth he needs to know. That's over. I could imagine somebody, I'm thinking if somebody's in hell, the first thing that they're saying is, help me, I'm sorry. Like, I just, where is repentance recorded? Before you feel sorrowful for the rich man, notice that he doesn't even show remorse for himself. Still about himself. He sees Lazarus. He knows how hard Lazarus' life was. He didn't even just have, hey, Lazarus, man, I saw you every day. It was bad. I wish I would have helped you. I ignored you. Man, I'm sorry about that, but I'm glad to see you having comfort right now. No, it was still about him. Help me. 
If you can't turn your selfishness off in this life, you won't turn it off in the next. Hell does not reform you. It reveals who you are. If you want something to help you remember that, say your eternal condition cannot be changed. Cannot be. Send Lazarus. I imagine, you know, first of all, if I'm in hell and I'm jacked up, I'm like, can y'all get a water hose down here? Can I get a bucket? Can I get like a glass every other week? I mean, can I get a drop? What kind of torment makes you imagine a drop of water solving your problem for all eternity? Like a drop. This is designed to help you understand the severity of the place. Can't even think straight. Can't even make a a pure request. And now the one who's abused is having to make requests. But Abraham said, child, remember in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, between us and you there's a chasm fixed in order that those who would pass there from here to there may not be able and none may cross from there to here. See, your eternal condition cannot be changed, cannot be fixed. See, mercy, put this up there, mercy is unachievable. Judgment is now unmovable. In your life, it's not unforgettable. You can't forget the stuff. You can't forget anything. It's unforgettable. The distance between you and God is unscalable. You know what this looks like? Jacked up. Remember that movie I went to see? You know, it revealed a lot to me. It made me afraid, but it made me lust for more evil imagery. I didn't, I didn't like, like now I was afraid, afraid, but, but I was eerily attracted to now I want to see the exorcist. So I remember sitting up one night and seeing some, a scene I don't want to repeat, and I said, ah! I just screamed just like that. It was high. <laughs> I, I, I started having a life more consistent with the occult than a believer. And it was subtle. Fascination with Ouija boards. Do I never really played it, but I kept wondering what we're doing. And again, is it real? What do we test it? Fascination with magic eight balls, fascination with tarot cards, fascination with seances, fascination with talking to the dead and consorting with the dead, and and all of these imaginings were always dark because what I ingested was not the will of God, not the law, not the prophets, not the gospels. I was ingesting what the world was offering for the afterlife, and the only thing it could bring me was fear and misery. You can't just touch it and then it's gone. You touch it and now your flesh longs for death. 
Start meditating on death. You start saying, you know, is my life worth it? The people who are rich in this world and who have everything want to die. Why is an American wanting to die when you look at the world and you have what most of the world wants? Why are you depressed? Why are we, we, why are we not happy? Why are we in church and secretly so miserable and, and riddled with fear and problems? Someone wouldn't even believe it because on the outside we've learned to dress in linen, eat the best, look the part. But we're sepulchers, we're graves, and we fail to acknowledge our real condition and our real state is more like hell than heaven, and we don't acknowledge it on earth, and so we make the mistake of leaving this place as if our condition is going to change. It will not. The Bible says in the last days, people would uh, add to themselves, their ears, teachers who will say what they want to say. This is what churches become. I, if I don't like my preacher, I'll just, I'll just turn on another preacher who's telling me how to feel good, be good, and prosper. I'm telling you, I, I'm going to tell you straight because the Bible tells you, you know, I'm going to skip down to it. Hey, here, here, you enjoy this. Eat on this a little bit. No, that was tough. Because this is a tough scripture, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have, I'm sorry, I went a little too far. I didn't even give them the scripture. But, but just hear the words of Jesus before I get to my final point here. It's Luke 13, 22 says, he went on his way through the towns and the villages teaching and, and, and journeying through Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who, uh, those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, well, wait a minute, we ate and drank in your presence. And we taught in our streets. We, we brought guests to the Harvest Fest. But he'll say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then you will see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves will be cast out. And people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and recline at the table of the kingdom of God, and behold, and behold, some of the last will be first and the first will be last. What is he describing there? The same situation that Lazarus and the rich man is in. He says, you can be like these Pharisees and think you've got it all together and actually not live together because you know your heart. You know who you actually are. You know what the fruit of your life says, that you're in trouble. Listen to me. The message is not coming because we need a message and it needs to be cute. This is what thus saith the Lord to us. Break free. But this is how we really try to solve it. This is my last point. This is how we try to solve it. This is where we're stuck. 
We're living like hell on earth, and this is the mentality. And he said, then I beg you, Father, send to my house, for I have five brothers, so that they may be war- so you may warn them, lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses, they have the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father, Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone is risen from the dead. It's funny. Hell refocuses you on the work you should be doing on earth. Hell focuses you, and his very request is an acknowledgement that he rejected the gospel. He rejected the good news. He rejected the assignment. This this is an indictment. This is the proof text that he should be in hell. No, 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 I didn't. He's saying, tell them to listen to the prophets because you had the prophets and it was enough. He was telling them to listen to the law because he had the law and it was enough. He was telling them that, you know, since John, I've been here preaching the gospel to you. You had me. It was enough. It was always enough. Do you think I'm so miserable and miserly a God that I did not leave you with chance after chance and time after time and way after way? Do you think I'm that wicked and cruel to sit there as a cruel puppet master waiting on you to fail? No, I've been waiting on you to win. You did not listen. You did not heed. Now you're in torment and it is real and it's not solvable. You are voiceless. It cannot be fixed. It will not be fixed. It will not be changed. How miserable it is for him right now. And you, 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 you may be sitting here thinking it's humane, inhumane because, yes, if we had more proof, yes, if we had more words, you didn't, we, then we would know if we could figure out more things. I uh, know. Jesus, while he was alive, raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. And you know what they did after that? They didn't say, we believe. They said, oh, we need to kill Lazarus and we need to kill Jesus. Because hell was in their heart. Broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and I don't care how many movies you watch, I don't care what the government says, I don't care how many preachers say that hell is not real. If you don't choose correctly in this world, you have no more chances in the next. Stop playing, choose. Stop wandering around, choose. You, this day, who will you serve? Don't you lie anymore to yourself. Stop thinking that your salvation should be private. Oh, we want revival. We want a song to be a song service so we can feel good. You can go to hell in a song service that makes you feel good. You need that service where people are saying, I am ready to get it right. Yes, Lord, I say that. 
There's some of you who have gone into some strange situations where you've made partnerships with the devil. You've actually, you played around with it so long that now you do. Let me help you understand, as long as you're in the land of the living, he has no power over the power of God. Even the contract you've made with your lips can be broken by the almighty God and his blood. You tired of being confused? If you are confused, well, you need to keep coming and saying yes to the Lord until confusion is routed out. You can't afford to be confused with eternity at stake. Who told you, well, I'm just a little confused now, so I'm just going to just kind of live confused? No. Get some assurance. Get some direction. Get some clarity. Get your Bible. Get desperate. You know, another indicator that we might be broken and more like the rich man, more like the Pharisees than like Lazarus, is that we don't do the work. We don't preach. We don't communicate. Maybe we don't share life. It has nothing to do with if you understand the gospel. Maybe you just don't believe it. Because what the Bible says, for what the heart man believes, but the mouth confession is made to salvation. If you believe something in your heart, you confess it with your mouth. In this world, people are not ashamed to come out the closet. Go back in the closet. The Bible says it's a shame to talk about certain things that are done in the dark and the light. Go back in. Don't put your sin in front. I don't want to see your sin. I don't want to see my sin. Let Jesus deal with your sin. Let him deal with that stuff. But if you're going to come out, if you're going to come out of the dark, if you're going to come out of the closet, come out for Christ. Come out as a believer. Come out as a Christian. Come out of fear and confusion and depression and depravity. Come to the narrow way, and he is that narrow way. Stand to your feet. This is an inescapable reality for all humans. Choose. It's inescapable. Choose today who you will serve. Break out of your, I want to show people I'm a good person. Good people going to hell. There are no good people. There's only one good, and that's Jesus. And you need an exchange, and I need an exchange. His life for my life. If you are confused about where you stand with Christ, if you know you're not standing with Jesus Christ, if, you're not, if you can't tell me right now when I die, I'm going to be in heaven comforted, you have a crisis. It's a crisis. And don't think it's, it's a crisis. You can't go just eat after this. You can't just go sit down and watch your next scary movie, live your life, and go into blindness. 
You don't know if you will wake up tomorrow even with the sensibility to actually respond to this message because when the message comes, Satan is coming right now to fight you. He's got to get the clarity out of you. You better say yes while it's today. I'm going to have the worship sing. They're not trying to bait you to do something, though. They're trying to give you space to respond. It's a lot could be going on in your heart. Make no mistake about it. This was the word for us.